We're studying the life and ministry of Jesus through all four Gospels at the same time. And we find ourselves in the book of Luke right now. Luke chapter 7 to be exact, starting in verse 24. So I'm going to read the text this morning. You can follow along and uh, it'll be up on the screen as well. And uh, then we'll pray and then we'll, we'll dive into it together. Luke chapter 7, starting verse 24. When John's messengers had gone... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. This is John the baptizer, by the way. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. So what then did you go out to see? Jesus asked. A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes, the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and thank you for your word. Um, I pray this morning that as we study your word, you teach us. Holy Spirit, um, I pray that you would speak to me and through me even as I speak. That my words would, would be yours and that my thoughts would be yours. Uh, that you'd use this text to challenge us and to change us. I thank you, Father, that you forgive me. I thank you um, that, that Jesus' work on the cross makes me clean and makes me pure and makes me usable by you. Um, we thank you that you forgive all of us in Jesus' name. And I pray today now then against the enemy, his, works, his servants, their works and effects, uh, he would take your word and twist it. He would accuse us. Uh, of guilt and tempt us to sin, but instead, Holy Spirit, work in such a way that we'd be changed and that uh, we would see Jesus work in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he said, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. He asked that question. Well, let's back up here a little bit. First, when, when John's messengers had gone, we're talking about John the Baptist, right? John the Baptizer. And last Sunday, we, we looked at John the Baptizer. He was in prison, and he sent two of his disciples to go find out, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Because John's in prison. He's going to be there for the rest of his life. He's probably going to die there. He's been there for about 18 months already at this point. And he's like, okay, so I'm in prison. Is it worth it? (laughs) Go ask Jesus if he's really the one or if I should wait for another. And we talked all about that last Sunday. And Jesus, here's what he does is he starts doing a whole bunch of miracles in front of John's disciples, healing people and curing diseases and all kinds of stuff. And then he says, go tell John what you just saw. In fact, here's what he says. Verse 22, he answered them. He said, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And then he said this. 
And we didn't really touch on this verse much last week, but it fits really well with where we're going this morning. He said, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. John, here's, just go tell John, here's everything you see. Have, have trust, trust me, and you're blessed if you're not offended by me. If you don't reject me, if you don't turn away from me, you're blessed. Trust me. I know it's hard right now, but it'll be good. It'll be good. Just trust me. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Well, Jesus was speaking to the crowds concerning John. And some would say that this is Jesus' eulogy of John. Because the passage we saw last week, that's the last interaction we see with John the Baptist in the New Testament. We see him mentioned other times, but we never see any direct action of John other than right there where he had sent his disciples to find out if Jesus really was the one. The exception to that would be a sub a subcomment in Matthew 14 telling how Herod killed John and beheaded him while he was in prison. But other than that, we don't see anything else about him. So in a sense, Jesus here is preaching John's funeral. <laughs> you got a funeral message today by Jesus. And like any good pastor at a funeral, what Jesus does is he honors the person who's deceased. He honors John, who hasn't died yet, but he's going to soon. And then he turns his attention to the people who are left behind. And any good pastor, any good funeral, that's what happens, right? The person who's passed away, they're honored. Their memory is, is talked about and, and it's comforting and it's, it's good to remember those things. But if we're honest, the funeral really isn't about the person who's passed away, is it? The funeral is about the people who are left behind. Because nothing that I say as a pastor or anyone else says can do anything for the person after they're gone. It's all about the people who are left. It's a time of mourning for us. And it's a time often any good pastor will then challenge us to think at a funeral, my funeral's coming. Am I ready for it? And there's a certain sense where Jesus then is challenging the people here in a really loving and tender way. See, the, 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 the disciples of John had left, and, and Jesus turns his attention to the people who are behind. And he says to them, what did you go into the wilderness to see? And Jesus asks the people this question three times in remembering John and in challenging them both. John was an eccentric guy. We talked about him a little bit last week. But some of the things that he did, he's a pretty unique man. He, Matthew, Matthew 3, 4 tells us he wore a garment of camel's hair. He had a leather belt wrapped around his waist. He ate bugs and honey, and he lived in the wilderness. That was John. He, he was a strange dude. I mean, today, if John was alive today, he'd have his own reality TV show on Discovery Channel showing how he lived in the wilderness. That, that's, that's, that's John. He's just one of those guys. And he preached in the wilderness, and throngs of people went out to see him. And his message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn for God's coming. Turn the kingdoms here. And all four gospel writers and Jesus and John himself declared that John was the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 verse 3. That he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And his role was to prepare the way for the Lord, for the Messiah. John had a God-given job to prepare the way for the Messiah. John, his role, he wasn't the closer. He was the setup man. Do you understand that? In baseball, 
You've got a closer that comes in in the ninth inning. And if the game's on the line, you've got a lead. You put your closer in to close out the game. You put your best pitch. I mean, he just throws heat for three, hopefully only three batters. And that's it. And you're done. But before the closer, you've got a setup man. And the closer really is only as good as the setup man. Because the setup man can totally blow it for the closer. And the setup man, if he's really good, he gets no credit. If he's no good, he gets all the blame. Because the setup man, what he does is, if he, 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 can't, he can almost never win this, get a save in his stat column where he saved the game. He's got the lead. He comes in, strikes three guys out. He did his role. He goes back to the dugout. But if he comes in with the lead and he, and he throws like three home runs, he can't get a save on his stat column, but he can get a blown save. I mean, he, he just, he's got the raw deal being the setup man. He's, he's got a role to play. He plays a role, and that's it, and that's all. That's who he is. Well, that's John. John's not the closer. He's the setup man. He's the guy who comes in in the eighth inning and prepares the way for the closer. And John was a really good setup man. He didn't blow it. And yet, so what happens is, because he didn't blow it, and he's the setup man, he just kind of fades away. He just kind of fades away. He doesn't really get any glory. He doesn't get any respect, except the closer looks at John, and he says, We're going to see this is the greatest guy who ever lived. Jesus was the closer. John is just the setup man. That's his role. Well, he's in prison now for what he had done. He's in the dugout, in a sense. And Jesus is asking the people what they saw when they saw John. Because prior to this, John had a ministry out in the wilderness preaching and baptizing people, right? That was the eighth inning before Jesus shows up. And he asks them, he says, what did you go into the wilderness to see? And this is a good question for us this morning. Not what did we go into the wilderness to see, but what did you come here to see? What do you come here week after week to see? What do you go to your small group to see? Why do we gather together? Keep that thought in mind as we see Jesus' question to the people of what they went to see. First, he asked this. He said, did you go see a reed shaken by the wind? Did you go see a reed shaken by the wind? What does that mean? Well, here's, here's the idea. He asked, in asking that, he's saying, uh, did you go see something insignificant or commonplace? The idea here is of a tall reed. Like there, there were these tall reeds that would grow down along the Jordan River Valley, along the river, basically just a tall piece of grass. We've got this fountain grass out in front of our house. We've got this fountain grass in front of our house, and uh, it looks like this. This was a picture at about 6 this morning, so it's not the greatest. I didn't plan ahead. But it blows in the wind, and you can't miss it. You walk by it. We walk by it every day. There's one on either side of the driveway. And you walk by it, and it just kind of blows in the wind. And it's, it's kind of weak, too. It's, it's snapped off in the winter. And it's there all winter. In the spring, we cut it back, and then it grows back and does its thing again for another season. It's just commonplace. It's, just, it's insignificant. It's just, we see it. I mean, you can't come to our house without walking past the fountain grass. It's, it's just common every day. There it is. We see it every single day. And so this question of what did you go to see, Jesus is saying, did you just go to see something that was common? Did you just go to see something that happened every day? Like just a normal everyday day, you went out to the wilderness and there's the guy preaching by the water. Was that what you went to see? And his implication here is he's implying that their answer is no, that's not what we went to see. Because John was not insignificant. He wasn't commonplace. He's the best closer in history. But it begs a question for us. What do you come to see? Do you come to see something that's just commonplace? 
Did you come to see something that's commonplace? When you come week after week, every Sunday, why do you come? Jesus was asking the people, why'd you go hear John? And I'm asking you, why do you come hear me? John was a lot better than me at preaching. Why do you come? Is it just to see something that's common? In other words, is, is today, is Sunday just like any other day on the calendar for you? Did you come see or, to see a reed shaken by the wind, just something common? Or is it something more? Do you prioritize this time in your schedule or your small group in your schedule? Or is Sunday morning just one of those, well, if we can make it this week, we'll be there. If we can get there, if we don't have anything else going on, if the kids don't have a ball game, if I don't have to get anything done around the house, if I'm not too tired, then what will I come? Do you prioritize it in your schedule? That's my challenge to you this morning. It's a couple things. We're going to talk about this. Do you prioritize our time together, gathering together to hear from God and to hear from his word? Do you prioritize that in your schedule where that's, that's, a, that's something I'm not... It's going to be a rare exception that I wipe that off my calendar week in, week out, and go do something else. But that's a priority for me. See, because if it's just commonplace, if it's just another day, and it's a day I don't have to work, and it's a day it'd be nice to sleep in, then it's a day where I can go, you know what, I guess I don't need to worry about it, and I'll just stay home and go do my thing. And I would challenge you that it matters that you're here. Because church is your family. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your family. And the truth of the matter is, it's your first family. It's your first family. The people here and the people in your 110 group who've trusted Jesus, those are the people you're going to be with for eternity. Right? I mean, you're with your your earthly family for a while. But your, your eternal family is who you're going to be with forever. It's your first family. Now, hopefully, in some of you, we have some multi-generational families where we've got grandparents and parents and children who are all part of our eternal family. We talk about this in membership class. I play a little video, those of you who have been there, and you've seen this discussed, right? And, and, and everybody, your, 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 whole, your whole biological family is part of your extended church family. And you've just got one great big family. It's great, isn't it? But for others of you, you're maybe the only one in your family who knows Jesus. Or you're one of only a couple who do. And in reality, truth be told, this is your first family. This is the family that's going to be with you forever. If you had to choose godparents for your children, it wouldn't be people in your biological family. It would probably be somebody from church, some of you. This is first family. Do you prioritize this? This is family time. Now, like any good family, we're not perfect. We're messed up. (laughs) Like any family, we have arguments. Like any family, we don't all see things eye to eye. But we're a family, and we prioritize that time together. It's not just commonplace. It needs to be a priority on your schedule. And the people prioritized going to see John. It, It took a big effort to get out to the wilderness. It wasn't hop in the minivan, slam the door shut, and race down 2035 north or 1300 north to 2035 east and and to get here in time, right? No, it wasn't. It was a trek out into the wilderness, a couple days. They really made this a priority in their schedule to go see John. So let me ask you, is this commonplace or is this a priority? Or is getting something done at home more of a priority? Or is a basketball tournament or softball tournament for your kids more of a priority? 
yeah, but Josh, I've been putting it off for a few months and I've got to get this done. And it's just going to be a couple more weeks. I'll get it done and then I'll be there. Okay, great. I don't believe you. (laughs) I don't believe you. Where's your priorities? Don't do it to please me. If you don't come, listen, you're the one who's hurting here, not me. You're the one who's missing out on family time. You're the one who's missing out on encountering God. Yeah, but it's just for a season, Josh. Once basketball season's over, we're back. Okay. Until baseball season and soccer season. I was thinking about that this week, you know, making a priority. And I keep bringing this up, but obviously he's very much the ruler of our house right now. Little Charlie, one month old. And I was thinking about that for him. My dad always coached me playing baseball, and I hope Charlie plays baseball if he wants to and does sort of that stuff. And if he does, I really hope to coach and to be really involved in all of that. I just think it would be a blast. But then I thought, you know what? The way things have changed, he's really at a disadvantage. He doesn't get to go play on Sunday. He doesn't get to go to the weekend tournaments probably because this will be a priority. Now, I may have to eat my words, and it's going to be hard when I get to that point, but, but hold me accountable to that. Unless, of course, you want to give me 12 weeks off to go coach. <laughs> yeah? No? You're like, no, Josh, you made a choice. This is your choice to be here. You chose this career. Yeah, I know. And some of us, we need to make choices about what's our priority. What's our priority? It's got to be gathering together because God works when we're gathered together. Now... As I say this, I know there's, there's some things where your job, you're, you're in a, a profession that, that is of public service or uh, in healthcare, things like that, and, and it's impossible, and, and you're, it requires you to be gone once in a while. I get that, okay? So don't, don't feel guilty about that. I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip on anyone. I'm just saying, where are your priorities? Is this commonplace or is this something more? And it's not just me who says this. The writer of Hebrews says it. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, he says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the headlines, I look at the calendar, Jesus is 2,000 years closer than when that was written. So if he thought the day was drawing near, where do you think we are? He's coming soon. Don't neglect that time together. Make it a priority in your schedule. The other idea, though, of a reed shaken by the wind when Jesus says this is not just something commonplace, but something weak, right? Frail and weak and just snaps off and it's gone and it's done. And did you just go out into the desert, he's asking him, to see something or someone who is weak? Well, John the Baptist, if he was anything, he wasn't weak. (laughs) He, He was one of the most fiery, hell and brimstone, powerful preachers of all time. And I have a feeling if we were there and we heard John preach, our hearts would melt in a hurry, in a hurry. They didn't go to see something weak. Jesus was like, no, you didn't go to see something weak. How about you? Do you come to see something weak? Or do you come with expectation? Go back, there it is. Do you come to see something weak? You know, I, I work hard to prepare and study so that I'm ready to go when I have to preach on Sunday mornings. But I'm, it's because I'm preaching God's word and God's thoughts. That's my goal, not Josh's thoughts. If you come to hear Josh's thoughts, you're going to be sorely disappointed week after week. 
sorely disappointed because Josh is very, very weak, incredibly weak and dumb and sinful, but God's thoughts are powerful. And my goal is to preach God's thoughts to you. If I just get up here and give my opinion, what a waste of time. What a waste of time. I don't understand why some people go to churches where all they hear is opinion the whole time. We got to hear God's word. We got to hear God's thoughts. God's word is powerful. I'm weak. (laughs) Jesus is perfect. I messed up. Jesus saves. I can't fix you (laughs) or your kids. I can't do it. There's no way. If you came to see something weak, if you came just because oh, there's really, in other words, if you came to just, you didn't really expect much today, you're not going to get much out of it. If you came to see me, you can expect to be disappointed, frustrated. You came to see weakness. If, if you came to see something powerful, though, if you're excited, then you know what happens? You're excited to sing when we sing. And you sing from your heart. And you're anxious to hear God's word opened up. And you're anxious to write things down and to to, to learn from it and to be changed. The the key is you came with an expectation. And that's the key, isn't it? Do you come with expectation? Or do you just come on your own? I would challenge you that this is really what's going about. Jesus says, Jesus is asking them these questions about why did you go see John? Well, the reason they went is because they expected to see something. And he's asking them, well, what did you expect to see? When you come on Sunday morning, when you come to your 110 group, when you gather together with other believers, do you expect God to work in your life? Or do you just expect to come sit, hear something good that tickles my ears and then go home, see my friends and go home? Now, listen, I hope you come and see your friends. I hope you enjoy your time, but I hope you come with an expectancy to hear from God, to be changed by Jesus. If, if we, listen, if we would come with that expectancy, this place would be packed week in, week out, week in, week out, and we would see God do some incredible things. Are you willing to make that commitment to come with expectancy to see what God would do? Because ultimately, that's why we're going to find out. That's why the people went to the desert. It wasn't to see a reed shaken by a wind. It was to see the power of God in John the Baptist. Do you come with expectation? And, and you're like, well, see, here's the deal. Sometimes we come to church expecting what can we get out of it. And I hate to tell you, but it's not about you. And it's not about me, and it's not about what we get out of it. It's about Jesus. And what's curious is when we seek Jesus and we expect him to work, then we get something out of it. (laughs) And it's really on you. Where's your expectation? What what you receive is going to be dependent on what you expect to see God do. You don't believe me? Well, God promises this to Jeremiah. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Are you seeking him with your whole heart? These people in Jesus' day, in John's day, sacrificed a lot to head out into the wilderness to see God's power at work. You come expecting to see God's power at work because he promises where two or three are gathered together, there the Lord is. Verse 25, as we keep going, what then, Jesus asked, did you go out to see? Did you go see a man dressed in soft clothing, he asked them. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury in king's courts, a man dressed in soft clothing. This would be somebody who's wealthy in that day. Most people didn't have soft clothing. 
When I get a new t-shirt, usually the first comment from Hannah is, oh, that's a nice shirt. It's, oh, that's soft. Like soft clothing, right? I mean, we like stuff that's soft. But you know what? Back then, and even in many parts of the world today, you don't get soft clothing unless you can afford soft clothing. And it was just hard. It was a little rigid. It didn't get washed very often. So it got a little crusty. And so to see a man in soft clothing was a sight to see. They're saying, did you go see a ruler, a guy in soft clothing, finely woven clothing? It might have been worth the trip to go see that. Jesus is clearly drawing a contrast here, though, between a ruler and somebody who's wealthy and John who lived in the wilderness and wore camel's hair for his clothes. John didn't dress like a ruler. He didn't have soft, pretty, fancy clothes. He wore camel's hair. He was a leader, but not in the sense that the world might expect. And Jesus says, he answers this question. He says, behold, those, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. He answers this one. It, it, John's rough attire wasn't expensive or beautiful, and somebody dressed like expensive and beautifully would be found in a king's court, not in the desert. So Jesus is like, clearly that's not what you went to see. But again, we come back to us. What did you come to see? Did you keep, come to see something pretty? I'm not talking about me. Did you come to see something pretty when you come? And here's what I mean by this. And really these next two, they kind of go together. Pretty or attractive. What, what did you come to see? Did you come to see something that was attractive to you? Did you come? I mentioned earlier that your expectation will determine what you get out of church. And, you know, if this is your fifth church in the last four years, you probably won't be here for the sixth year. <laughs> Did you come just to, to get your own wants and your own needs met? Or did you come to hear from Jesus? Did you come to hear from God? Now, there's a certain sense where the church is to be attractive and we attract people, right? And we live in a culture that's obsessed with shiny things. And so we would do well to at least know how to speak that language and update the look and feel of our facility. We work hard to make sure the bulletin looks good, the slides look good, all that sort of stuff. So that's not a hindrance in our culture for somebody encountering God. But if all you come is to just see something you want to see, come to see God. Come to see God, not to see something pretty. Or how about this? Did you just come to see, and that's why I said these two things go together, something entertaining, Did you just come to see something entertaining? Now, here's the truth. If the music was awful, or if the presentation was shoddy, and I wasn't prepared, and I never really uh, preached God's word, or I just droned on and on, like the guy on Ferris Bueller, or, you know, whatever it was, you wouldn't keep showing up. Just be like, oh, man, that's that's brutal. I mean, there's a certain sense where we want to be excellent in our presentation and all that stuff, but there's also a certain sense where We can only be so excellent, and we're not going to let that get in the way of just simply preaching God's word. And we do try hard at that, but it's not the ultimate thing. So why are you here? If you've been following Jesus, why are you here? Now, those sorts of things are important, that, that, that attractional side to somebody who's never met Jesus. But those of you who are following Jesus, why are you here? Why are you here? What did you come to see. I hope you didn't come to only be entertained, to hear the music that you prefer. You know why we choose the music we do? We choose it based on what's being preached that morning. 
And so that all of that goes together. We're worshiping by hearing God's word, and then we're responding in worshiping through the same topic or the same theme that was touched on in the message that morning. Do you come to see people dressed the way you prefer, to hear a message that makes you feel good? You know, I preach Jesus. And sometimes that's going to make you feel good. Sometimes it's going to make both of us feel pretty rotten. (laughs) But it's all about Jesus. Do you get out at the time you prefer? I I try to keep to a certain time to rescue the nursery workers. But sometimes I go a little long. I'm a little windy. But it's about Jesus. It's not about what we prefer, right? Right? What's your expectation? It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Verse 26. What then, Jesus says, did you go out to see? Now he's making this closing argument here. He's bringing the funeral to a close. He says, what did you go to see? He goes, a prophet? He goes, yeah, you went to see a prophet. That's why you went. And you, you went, and actually much more than a prophet. You went to see a prophet. You went to see somebody in whom God's power was at work. You went to see God's power. You went to hear from God. That's what a prophet did. A prophet spoke from God to the people. And this was the first time a prophet had shown up in 400 years when John the Baptist comes and starts preaching. There, there had been just incredibly, incredible dryness of hearing from the Lord. A drought, Right? And and John was more than a prophet. He was the prophet. He dressed like a prophet. See, there's another guy in the Old Testament who dressed pretty similar to John. His name's Elijah. Prophets dressed like John. John dressed the part. And he was a prophet who spoke on behalf of God the first, as I said, in over 400 years. But he was more than a prophet, Jesus says. How was he more than a prophet? Well, first, I would say John fulfilled prophecy. Jesus answers why he's more than a prophet in the next two verses. Verse 27, this is he, John, of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. He's, Jesus is quoting a combination of three verses here. Malachi 3.1, Exodus 23.20, and Isaiah 40, verse 3. And all of it, he's applying to John, that John's the one who's preparing the way. He's the, he, he's the setup man. I'm the closer. He's the setup man. And his, he, he was more than a prophet because he's actually prophesied about. He, he's not just a prophet. There were people who prophesied about him. He's the prophet. He's the setup man before the closer. That's John. God had his plan for John set in place long before John ever came on the scene. And you know, the truth is, he's got that same He's got a plan for you that he's had written down long before you ever came on the scene. And we would learn from John in the sense that John fulfilled his role and then he died. (laughs) And for us, we should follow God, fulfill our role that he calls us to do. And when we're done, well done, good and faithful servant. And we go home. (laughs) That'll be a great day. That'll be a full life. See, the psalmist says it this way, your, your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there were none of them. It was the same for John. John was prophesied about. That's one of the reasons he was the greatest to ever live. And here's the other, or, or why, why he was more than a prophet. Here's the other is he was the greatest man to ever live. And don't take my word for it. Jesus says it. Verse 28, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, he's obviously excluding himself, None is greater than John. None is greater than John. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Huh? 
<laughs> do you just do it? Do you do that when you read that verse? I, I do that a lot of times. I'll read, I'll read a passage and I'll hear something Jesus says and I just have to stop. I go, huh? What's he mean? What's he talking about? Well, let me try to explain it to you. He, he's saying, John, of those born among women, there's nobody greater. First off, he's exalting John. He's saying John was an incredible man, an incredible preacher. In his time, there's no one like him. There's no prophet greater than him. There, there's, he, he's the man. Now, do you remember this slide from last week? I talked about Jewish expectation, right? And how there's this age and there's the age to come. And there's this line when the day of the Lord happens. And before that is this age in the sense of in the New Testament or in, uh, in John's day. And then the age to come comes after Jesus dies on the cross. And they kind of actually overlap a little bit. We talked about as well. But John, what Jesus is saying, he's still, when he says this, he's still in the, this age before the cross. And he's saying of, of John, there's no one born of women in this age who's, who's greater there's no prophet who's greater. But he's saying, but those who are born into the kingdom of God, those who, when Jesus inaugurates the kingdom after his death on the cross, which is after John, all of a sudden, everything John prophesied about, we see with our eyes. And we know by faith through God's word. So there's a certain sense in which we have it better than John. John was a great man, but because we know Jesus and we're saved and changed by his grace and we're on this side of the cross, there's a certain sense where Jesus is saying, but, but being a participant in his kingdom now is so much better than even John. And that's part of this expectancy piece. Do you understand that you're a part of God's kingdom, that you've got a role to play in Jesus' kingdom? And he wants you to play it. And there's no greater part. Even if you're just a setup man and you get no credit for it and you don't get paid much for it. Are you willing to play the role? Do you come with expectancy to see God work? And see, that's the question. And that's the thing that, that Jesus is implying. No, you, you went to see a prophet. And my question to you then, not those things, but did you come today to see the power of God at work? Did you come to see God work in your heart, in your life? Is that why you come to hear God's word preached? Is that why you come to sing his praises? This morning is kind of a gut check morning. More than it is big, here's, here's how I apply this this week. No, this is how I apply it for the next years of my life. Is this a priority? Do you come with expectancy to see God's power? Because if you don't, there's two options. See, what, what happens here in these last two verses of this passage this morning in 29 and 30, if you've got a Bible that has red letters, this isn't red. Like the red letters usually designate things Jesus said. And there's some debate whether or not this next, these next two verses are actually something Jesus said or if it's something that Luke actually put in the text as a commentary on what had happened. The more I read, the more I kind of think this may have actually been something Jesus said because there's nowhere else that Luke does that where he interrupts Jesus speaking. And the way it would be different is if in verse 29, when all the people heard this, really this could be him. When all the people heard him, Jesus saying, when, when, when all the people heard what John had said, and the tax collectors too, he points out, the sinners, the really messed up ones, they declared God just. In other words, they said God's way is right. For they had been baptized with the baptism of John. Now, John's baptism was one of repentance. Repentance is simply, it's a fancy church word that means I turn 
From my way of life to Jesus' way of life. From me and my sin to Jesus and his righteousness. I simply turn to Jesus. That's repent. That's repent. It's turning to Jesus. And, and John's baptism was one of repentance. And Jesus contrasts two different groups of people here. The first line, he says, when, when the people who went out to see John, just the regular everyday people, they went with an expectancy because they knew there was a prophet there and they wanted to hear from God. And in their expectancy, <laughs> the tax collectors too, they declared God just. They said that was God at work. And they were baptized, a baptism of repentance. They repented and turned to God. Yet, there was another group of people who went out not with expectancy to see God work, but expectancy just to have their minds and their ears tickled. There were guys who were religious people who studied God's word and were all excited about these little bullet points of what it said and what it meant and all this and that. And they were so enthralled with, with, with studying that they missed the purpose of God for their life. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the lawyers of that day. Jesus says, or at least Luke says, but I think probably Jesus says, the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. They didn't go expecting to see God work in their life. And so when, when all this happened, guess what? They didn't get baptized. They didn't, they didn't get baptized and repent of their sin. They just went out to hear a good teacher. They just went out to see something commonplace. For them, they always heard good teaching. They just went out to see something. Oh, he's just a weak guy. He's in camel's hair. He's out in the middle of nowhere. They just went out to see something that was maybe entertaining to them. But the other people, it seems to me in verse 29, they went out to see the power of God. And they were changed. What about you? Do you come expecting to see the power of God? Work in your life, and you come with expectancy. That'd be my challenge to you this morning. As we close here, here's just two things maybe to apply for you this week. Number one is prioritize your time with God and His people. If it doesn't make it on your calendar, it's probably just not going to happen <laughs> because other things will take over if it's not a priority. Prioritize it. Get to your 110 group, get to church, get. And, and if you have children, if you prioritize it for their sake. I mean, what are we teaching them if, if church isn't a priority? We're teaching them, ah, it's just another thing. And so when they get older, guess who suffers? The whole kingdom does. And here's the big one, though. Number two, come expecting to encounter Jesus. Maybe you just tape something on your on the dashboard of your car, on your mirror, in your bathroom, whatever it is that would remind you on Sunday, put a reminder on your phone that goes off at 9 o'clock. Hey, come expecting to see Jesus this week. Come expecting to encounter him. Come expecting to be changed. Come expecting to hear from God's word. I guarantee if you do that, you come with that expectation, suddenly the music's going to sound a whole lot better. Because you're going to be singing from your heart. And it's not going to be about the music. It's going to be about you engaging with God. The preaching will sound better. Because you're going you're to be expecting to hear something from God's word. See, I'm asking you to make me a better preacher. Come with expectancy. Hear for, to hear from God, not from me. And to be changed by him. Amen? I believe that's the reason the people went to see John. They went to see him because he was a prophet. He spoke for God and they wanted to be changed by God. And Jesus makes, it, makes some points about John and who he was. But I think his, his reason for talking about some of those things is, is the heart of the people who had gone to see him. And what did they really go to see? 
What do you come to see? Let's pray, we'll sing, and we'll call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for your grace to us through him. Um, Lord, I pray for each of us, myself included, that we would, we would come week after week, um, not just going through the motions, not just because we always have, but because we truly expect to see you do something. We truly expect to hear from you week after week. I read a comment this week, a, a woman who, who said that a lot of times she thinks Christians are like uh, kids playing with their chemistry set. They don't understand the, the power that they're playing with and what could happen if they'd really just pay attention. That when everything gets mixed together, the power of God's spirit, the power of his people gathering, the power of worship, the power of the word, it's explosive. I pray that would be true of our church. I pray for those who aren't here that you'd plant in them a desire and expectancy to come next Sunday and to hear from you. I pray you'd help me to be faithful, that you'd continue to be pleased to work through me, teach through. But Jesus, help us remember it's all about you. Thanks, Father. We pray all this through. It's our Savior.